Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. Today I want us to turn to Isaiah 53, verses 6 and 7. This is one of the passages of Scripture, the entire chapter that I have committed to memory over the years because it is a messianic mind filled with ontological ore. But I want us to read verses 6 and 7, Isaiah 53, 6 and 7. Let's read it together. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Amen. I want to preach this morning about the silence of the Savior. The silence of the Savior. It's obvious in this text that one of the distinctives, one of the characteristics of our Savior's uh, vicarious offering as it was foretold and foreseen by Isaiah was the silence that was associated with him. Twice in the two verses we read, it says he opened not his mouth. My missionology professor at Southern Seminary, Dr. John H. Johnson, talked about these passages in Isaiah and posits that there were four speeches associated around the servant theme in Isaiah, actually introduced in chapter 41. But this is Isaiah 52, 12 through 53, 12. This is the fourth narrative or the fourth speech of the prophet. And it begins in chapter 41 basically with the Lord through his prophet challenging the nations to produce an advocate, to produce an advocate, produce a mediator, one who could bring justice, one who could bring peace and equity and tranquility to the world. And in the absence and in the inability of the nations who were called together, in the absence of their being able to do this, called to this task in a kind of convocation, a kind of tribunal where the planetary sphere, the, the heaven and the earth, the, the skies, the natural order were witnesses of. In the wake of their inability to produce an advocate who could bring justice and peace, God says, essentially, I'm going to give you one. 
he offers one who speaks as a servant. But not just a servant who speaks with a voice that recalls and resonates down the centuries, down the aeons of time with a silence. With a silence. The silence of the Savior. Silence. The reality of it. Let's look at the rationale for it. The rationale for the Savior's silence in the text pivots on and pulsates around the words or the phrases, as a lamb or like a sheep. The reason there is silence is that in vicarious offering of himself in the word of God, the preeminent paradigm, the preeminent pattern is that of a lamb. And it's the nature of a lamb to be submissive and gentle even when stressed. That's why if you're a shepherd, you can't lead lambs by roaring waters. Got to lead them by still waters. Even when they're sheared. I wish I had a witness here. Even when they're sheared and when they're offered for sacrifice, when they're being brought as offering, the lamb was noted for the submissiveness of his nature. And so Jesus, he did not try to oppose those who had accused him and accosted him. If you read in the Gospels, the common theme is he was led from judgment hall. Judgment hall, he opened not his mouth. If, even if you didn't read it, if you see some of the cinematic portrayals, like in the Passion of the Christ, he opened not, he didn't defend. Here was one who knew what was in man, and he did not defend himself. He opened not his mouth. Psalmist talks about in the presence of your accusers, keep silence. Sometimes we only aggravate the matter. When you know who you are and who's you are, you don't have to fight. God will fight for you. He'll fight your battles. The rationale is in the phrase as a, like a lamb, as a sheep, because the silence and submission of the lamb is likened to the response of our Savior and vice versa as he faces his accuser. Remember, in Isaiah's writing centuries before it happened, and yet Jesus fulfilled this to the letter because he stood mute before his accusers. Only when it became a matter of denying who he was did he speak. We can learn from that. Some of you fighting battles with words. You're trying to keep that marriage together with words. Try prayer and silence. You're fighting with that kid with words. They in one page, you on the other. Try silence. Isn't it interesting that as we talk about the rationale for the Savior's silence, isn't it interesting that 
The Bible portrays Satan as a roaring lion who walks among us seeking whom he may devour. I mean, the decibels in terms of the resonance of a lion's roar is off the chart. But what's marvelous about this text is that when God sent his ultimate weapon to deal with the roar of the lion, it was not the roar of another lion, but it was a silence of the lamb. I almost called this sermon the silence of the lamb and the roar of the lion. God's response to the roar is the silence. Don't park that too long because once the lamb did his work, the great lion of the tribe of Judah will one day come back for a cleanup operation. But the initial response was not the roar, but the silence of the lamb. The rationale. It is the paradigm. A few years ago, I read a book, Jürgens Moltmann, who is a great theologian of the last century. The interesting title this book is called The Crucified God. The Crucified God. The title itself prompts a purchase. And his preeminent and primary thesis is that God does not speak ultimately to us and to our situations through the power of the resurrection, but through the silence of the cross. Because apart from the silence of the cross, there would be no power in the resurrection. And so we have the crucified God who himself must deal with silence on the cross because when the debt of sin was placed on him, he cried out in the midst of silence inexplicable to us, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There is the rationale for the Savior's silence. There is the reality of the Savior's silence. Finally, there is the redemption of the Savior's silence. You read forward in Isaiah chapter 53, you get to the place where it tells us that the Lord sanctioned, the Father validated. He acknowledged with scintillating and soaring Validation, the veracity and the validity of the Savior's sacrifice. A sacrifice made in silence. Go over to Isaiah 53. Look at this. Look at it. How does God reward his servant's silence? Y'all read it with me in verse 12 of Isaiah 53. It says what? Therefore. Now hold it, hold it. See, when you see therefore in the Bible... Therefore, is a connective conjunction that connects what has happened in the prior passages to what's happening now. So therefore, embraces everything that has happened up to verse 12. The one who was oppressed, who was afflicted, who was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before a shearers is dumb, he opened out his mouth and who made his grave with the wicked in his death. 
the one who made that offering. How does God respond? How does he redeem his silence? Read it now with me. Therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Now, lest some of you be tempted to leave this text in the archives of antiquity, underline the part where not only was his silence rewarded, but because he was victorious, look what it says, he shall divide the spoil. See, when a conquering general was successful in battle and in a war campaign in the ancient world, that general received spoil from the conquered people. But he understood that he had to take care of his men. It's the same thought over in Mark where it said no man can enter into a strong man's house unless he bind the strong man. But when he's bound the strong man, he shall enter into his house and he shall spoil his goods. Well, what the silent Savior in his suffering did was he entered into the strong man's house. And on a hill called Calvary, he spoiled his goods. And you know what he did? Because when he got up with all power in his hands, he took what he'd taken back and he's distributed whatever the devil's taken from you. God can give it back. That joy you lost, that peace you had, that hope you had, he'll give it back to you. Do ever witness here. Therefore, he'll divide the spoil. Y'all looking at a brother that's living on the spoils. I'm living on the, I'm living on the spoils. I'm living on the spoils. Every morning I get up, I'm living on the spoils. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.